When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Upland Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. On this episode, it's American Britneys, Navda testing and trialing, and more with Rick Apuso. Welcome to the show for episode number 80. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. I'm downloading offline maps again today because tomorrow I'm headed to Grouse Camp for the weekend and you never quite know where you might end up when you're bird hunting, so it's best to be prepared and download your maps with Onyx Hunt ahead of time. And for a limited time, probably your last chance reminder here on the Project Upland Podcast, head over to Ruft dot org r-u-f-f-e-d dot o-r-g and check out the membership drive that the rough grouse society has going on right now killer upland af t-shirt plus a free 12-month subscription to onx at the 60 dollars auto renewal level that's a lot of value even for 60 dollars plus you're getting your rgs membership supporting a great cause and you're gonna get four issues of covers magazine need i say more i think not head over to ruft.org the Project Upland Podcast is also brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. You haven't experienced Grouse Camp until you've experienced it at Pine Ridge. October is the time to be at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, and I know everybody over there is having a blast. If you missed it this year, check it out for next year. Head over to pineridgegrousecamp.com and get in touch with them today. And by Dogtra Callers. For over 30 years, Dogtra has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dog. Find out more about them and the rest of their products by visiting dogtra.com. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. I've been feeding my dog 
Hartley, the five-year-old English setter, Yukonuba premium performance dog food for about six months now, probably, maybe a little bit more than that, but this is the first hunting season on it, and I just had him into the vet yesterday for a regular checkup. His weight was down about a half a pound, 49 and a half pounds. He's usually somewhere between 50 and 51, so I was really impressed with that. We've been hunting a lot. Hartley's been getting a lot of the workload as he's my only dog and he's been maintaining his weight and performance very well all things considered so i've been extremely happy with his performance on yukonuba premium performance dog food and if you're in the market for a new food or looking to try something different i suggest you check out yukonuba premium performance dog food by visiting yukonuba.com and by gumleaf usa high quality handcrafted premium rubber boots that stand the test of time i'm deep into my third season with my my gum leaf vikings they honestly don't feel much different than the first day i put them on there's very little break-in required the rubber is pliable yet the neoprene lining gives it a stiffness that provides just enough support for me at least where i don't feel like i'm walking around in a flimsy rubber boot it's really a great great setup for the grouse woods it's been extremely wet this year as it often is, and my feet are dry and comfortable all season long. And this time of year is when the gum leaves really start to shine. When the temperature dips down, that neoprene lining provides a little bit of insulation. So you got a dry foot, you got a warm foot. It's really the perfect scenario for long hikes deep into the cover during the prime time of bird hunting season. Check them out at gumleafusa.com and use the promo code PUP10. That'll get you 10% off your gum leaf boots. And by Gordy and Sons Outfitters, when your boots have the proper tread, you never notice how slippery it is. When your hunting jacket features the right liner, your body temperature won't enter your mind. When your shooting vest allows total freedom of movement, you won't think twice about swinging through that quail. At Gordy and Sons, they want you to focus solely on the hunt, not the performance of your gear. That's why the Gordy family has personally curated the best-in-class gear from around the globe for their store. Find out more about the gear, the guides, the expertise, all they have to offer by visiting GordyAndSons.com. And finally by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One piece, rotomold design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need for a safe and successful hunting trip. Check it out at dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway, Jeremy Moore from over at Dog Bone Hunter. Jeremy left us a review on the iTunes podcast app. Thank you, Jeremy. Project Up and T-shirt headed your way very soon. Anybody else listening could be next week's winner. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show by leaving the podcast a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast post, or send us a feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, here we go right into today's show. This episode was recorded way back in August, so apologies if it sounds a little bit dated, but the information is still very high quality. My guest was excellent, and the information pertains regardless of the time of year. My guest is Eric Afuso, a.k.a. Rick Afuso. He was featured in a Project Upland film all about the dogs, and he made a significant contribution to our Project Upland Anthology Volume 1 Kickstarter campaign way back when. It feels like forever ago now that we have the magazine up and running and everything else. But Rick has been a supporter of ours. He's been a friend of ours. I got to meet him while I worked for the Rough Grouse Society. And he's a bird dog man. He's an upland hunter. He's a supporter of conservation. He's one of us. That's for dang sure. And he also knows a thing or two about training dogs, especially his American Britneys. So tune in for lots of conversation about Britney's dog training, Navda, and much, much more with my friend and our guest today, Rick Afuso. All right, Rick, here we go. Welcome to the Project Upland podcast. How are you today, my friend? I'm good, Nick. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, and thank you for joining us on the Project Upland podcast. Let's dive in right away, Rick. Why don't you put us on the map, let us know where we are speaking to you from, and where's home base, where's the kennel, all that good stuff. All right, so I'm from uh, Hudson Valley, New York. I guess I'm about two hours north of Manhattan, up off the Hudson River, small town called Marlboro, New York, and that's where I do all my training with the dogs, and I have a small kennel, but most of it's just, you know, my three Britneys that I'm training with, and getting ready for the Navda Invitational Test in September. Did you grow up in New York? Yes, I grew up where I'm living now, Marlboro. Uh, I was born and raised here. So a life lifelong spent in New England. And for listeners that 
perhaps the sound of your voice sounds a little bit familiar. They they may be picking up on that from two locations. Number one, you were in our uh, one of our Project Upland films, All About the Dogs. It was an American Britney film, really cool film that was done a couple of years ago. When was that, Rick? Yeah, it was two years ago with AJ. I think we spent a good day and a half of working and getting that filmed. It was a lot of fun. Basically, we just kind of went from scratch and you know, AJ really didn't just said, train your dogs and see how it goes. And that's what we did. Yeah. Did AJ have Grim at the time? Were you showing him a thing or two about his first bird dog? Yes. Grim, Grim was, my gosh, he might've been about a year when <laughs> we did that. And we did get uh, Grim on the ground and worked on, on a few birds, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. So people have maybe seen that film. If they haven't, they should check it out. And I will be sure to put that link in the show notes for this episode. But Loyal listeners of the podcast may recall your voice from that film. There's a there's a line of you in the intro to the podcast that people get to hear every single time, unless they skip it. That is Rick, but hopefully not too many people skip it. But there's a line of you saying uh, something like, "My dad brought home our first Britney," and you know how AJ works his magic and and cuts it up and makes it makes it all sound cool. But you're in the intro to the podcast. Yes, <laughs> uh, I, I I did I did start out at a very young age with the Britneys and. Uh, I did some training, but you know, I, I really got serious with the Britneys about 15 years ago with the hunt test and Navda. I'm on my fourth Britney. Uh, I had a male Britney I started with, serious with the training. We had to put him down last summer, last July, and I had him as the father. My female was the mother, and I have a uh, son and daughter right now, that uh, a male and female, that were training for the Navda Invitational. Got it. So I probably run about... You know, you, the utility test, you have to qualify with a prize one to get to the invitational. And I've probably done about 12 utility tests between the four Britneys I've, I've worked. And in 2014, I took two dogs to the invitational. I passed my female oak and Cody just missed, uh, getting an invitational, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was all new to me, but they, they did a nice job. I bred those dogs that following winter at 10 puppies and I kept two. Got it. We're going to talk Britney's. We're going to talk Nabdo. We're going to talk testing. We're going to talk quite a bit of that stuff. I do want to get a little bit of your origin story, which again, some of that is in the film all about the dogs. But I also wanted wanted to take a moment just to thank you, Rick, because when we did, it was a couple of years ago now at least, Project Upland did a Kickstarter campaign to raise funds for the first printing of the Project Upland Anthology. It was a printed book, and this was before the magazine or before everything else. It was kind of the first foray into print. And of course, we were I was I was involved on the side at that time. I wasn't even as as involved as I am today. But there was some obviously concerns about coming out in a digital world with a with a piece of print. So we had to raise some funds to do that. And you were one of the supporters. And, uh, you know, early on you made it clear that you wanted to help us out and you could help us in, in, and you were willing to do that in any way you could. So you supported us. And one of those things was, was getting you on the podcast to talk about it a little bit. And I just wanted to say thanks for being an early supporter, Rick. We appreciate it. Yeah. I, I very much enjoyed working with AJ. I think we worked together three or four times, a couple of grouse hunts. There was some stuff done. I must've met AJ, I think about three years ago now. And I was really impressed how, you know, he kind of just got in the woods and worked grouse and, you know, getting just amazing how he worked the film. He worked yeah. hard. Yeah. You know, it was, it was it was a lot of fun, you know, helping out, donating. We had a lot of pictures in the uh, anthology and, you know, it was just, it was good. Yeah. One of your stuff. dogs was, one of your dogs is on the cover, isn't it? I don't have it here in front of me, but I'm, I'm picturing it yeah, in my mind and it's a Brittany. That's my male Spruce. He was, uh. I think I had three of the dogs in the book, but Spruce is on the cover, and he's now, gosh, he's four and a half years old now. I have his sister, and then his his mom is nine years old now. So we got all three of them in some of the photos. All right, so Britney's came into your life perhaps, well, they were in your life before this, but you said you got really into them about 10 years ago. Let's rewind further back, Rick, to intro to upland hunting and intro to bird dogs. What was that like for you? How did that go? So uh, I actually got into grouse hunting about seven, eight years ago. Okay. And I just, I got into it. It became a passion. I joined RGS. Uh, we started a local chapter out of Kingston. Actually, Bill Sweeak started a chapter. 
and uh, under Trip Way. Trip is no longer with RGS, as you know. Yep. And then I took over as a president. I've been doing it about seven years now. And prior to you know getting into the grouse and woodcock hunting, I was just guiding and hunting you know preserve birds here. I've been guiding at probably a handful of different preserves around New York. Okay. If that was seven or eight years ago, did you already you already had your first dog? Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was hunting Cody. I got a senior senior hunter on Cody again. That's who I put down last summer at just shy of thirteen, and uh, I got a senior hunter on him. I got a senior hunt on uh, the oak. She, again, she's nine. Yep. And then I got into Navda probably shortly after I got senior hunter on him, and I just really enjoyed the Navda part of it. You know, the field work. The water work and the dogs the dogs did well on it you don't see a lot of britneys you know going to the invitational you don't see a lot of utility prize ones in navda with britneys uh, i've got my dogs are on the larger side my male now that i have is almost 55 pounds and the females are around 45 so they're, they're pretty good sized britneys are outside at standard they're for the show world sure but I enjoyed, you know, what they do hunting. We do some waterfowl hunting, all the upland stuff we can do, guiding, and just, you know, all around good dogs, really. I put a lot of time into them. Though. Yeah. Well, listeners are going to get a taste of my lack of knowledge of hunting dog and bird dog testing and training standards, but I think that's probably a good place to jump in because I'm, I'm certain that I'm not the only one that has questions around this. But I'm, of course, familiar with NAVDA, probably more so than than just about anything else. But when you're saying senior hunt hunter and master hunter, that is AKC, right? Yes, AKC hunt test. Okay, so just... Tell me a little bit about that. Treat me like I know nothing, because that's pretty much how much I know about it. So about AKC hunt tests, uh, we started out with Junior Hunter, uh, with Cody. That was my first experience with hunt test. And a friend of mine, Dan Cordero, who also has Brittany's, got me involved in it. And uh, I ran Cody through Senior, ran a couple of hunt tests, master hunt tests with him, was not sec- successful. Then I got my female oak. She came out of Ronnie Smith Kennels out of Oklahoma. And that's uh, Ronnie Smith, his nephew to Delmer Smith and cousin to Rick Smith. Yep. And Ronnie and his wife, Susanna Love Smith, uh, is where I got my female oak from. And I've followed their training system and method. Uh, and I've probably been to about 20-some plus Smith seminars in different parts of the country. It was, you know, got a lot of good training work under Ronnie and Rick and, and even Delmer Smith. Yeah, I'm definitely going to ask you some questions about the Smiths a little bit later in the podcast and the methodology, because I don't think we've ever really dove deep on that stuff here on the podcast. So back to AKC Hunt Test, junior, senior, master, Tell me, talk to me a little bit about the progression of those tests. What might a dog be asked to do or supposed to do at each of those levels? And you don't have to go into every single detail, but give us an idea. So junior has to Junior hunter test is a beginning test, and I, I did that when they were young, you know, within a year or so. And you basically, the dog's just got a point, limited pointing, uh, steady, limited steady. And it's it's kind of like a young dog puppy test, although, you know, dogs of different age can do it. Then sen- senior hunter is pretty much a senior dog. You know, you could talk the dog into being steady. They could break on the flush. You kind of can. You can woe them and retrieve within a step. And Master Hunter is pretty much a you know a steady dog right through shot and fall. Uh, basically a dog you don't say a word to. You know, maybe call it around. So they, they plant chucker, they've got two gunners, and you, know, you, you get a, a Master Hunter is quite a hunting dog okay. in the field, AKC, you know, Master Hunter. And uh, it's just something, once I get in a knob, I just really didn't do much more any hunting, hunt test stuff. Sure. I'm just training Navda. And then Navda has the natural ability test, if I could step into that. And that's just, you got to get a dog through natural ability by 16 months. And the dog has to, you know, hunt, slight point, you know, just kind of not run away from you. There's no retrieving necessary. No birds are shot. They do a pheasant track and they do, uh, they toss bumpers in the water to get a dog swim. And it really is just gauging a dog's natural ability. And then utility, and, and Navda has three different prizes, prize one, prize two, and three. So there's different levels of natural ability and utility. And okay. getting a prize one on your utility dog, uh, that's your invite to the invitational. 
Okay. And I know that I know that the natural ability test for NAVDA, the high score is 112. So you, the dog runs through all these different scenarios and obstacles, and they are given a point uh, number of points at each of those, and they can total 112. That's the top that you can get. So would a yeah, pr- max score. Yeah, max score. So is a prize one like uh, like 110 through 112, or how does that where does the prize one fall in there? No, it's it's a it's a scoring system, you know, to a standard and. I don't know the lowest score you can get, but it's it's all based on multiples. Okay. And certain scores, uh, it gets a little complicated for me, but <laughs> it, it really is a good quality system. It's consistent. It's fair, and and a utility prize one dog is is really a, a a good hunting dog, a very good hunting dog. I think it's like a half an hour field run. It's not brace work, and a dog's got to be pretty steady through everything. You can do some vocals to it. There's a duck search, which my dogs are, are quite strong with, and that's, you know, a duck that's released out in a swamp, and your dog basically has to hunt the swamp. You know, whether it makes contact with a duck or not, there's a, a duck drag where a duck is drug about 100 yards and the dog has to track it, and then there's steady at the blind where a duck is, you know, launched, shot at, and the dog has to stay steady through some distraction gun distraction gunning and then retrieve the duck to hand. So um, it's it's a lot of water work. It's a lot of fun. You know, it really does challenge a dog. I, do, I don't do a lot of duck hunting, but I do some waterfowl hunting, duck and geese locally, and the dogs sit in the blinds, you know, steady. Till I got some hand signals on them. I can handle them in the water. And uh, the Invitational is an hour brace run with another dog, and it's comparable to a master hunter run uh, and hunt test in the field. Then we have a blind retrieve, which is about a 100-plus yard crossing the dead duck on the other shore. There's a double mark where two ducks are launched at, blanks are shot, and then there's a, a steady to honor where a duck is launched. A dog, a pickup dog, will go get the duck, and it's right in front of the, you know, your dog, your handling dog, and it just has to sit still and let that honor happen. So I've been doing a lot of training for the Invitational, traveling around Pennsylvania with a couple of pros and other guys and girls who are running in the Invitational getting a lot of brace work in, you know, for honor and backing. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite a test. It's, it's hard when I'm getting close. Dogs are starting to really come around. I've got about five weeks to prepare for the invitational and we're, we're gaining ground slowly, but steadily. All right. One question back on the AKC stuff before we leave that behind. I keep getting off track on that, don't I? <laughs> no, well, well, it's all right. You're taking us where we need to go, Rick, but I just, is that because I know like AKC is, they are, that's an umbrella over a lot of different breeds. And so some of the stuff you talked about in testing, mainly steadiness, right? So my mind immediately jumps to a pointing dog, which I guess that's a bad example. Talking about pointing birds being steady, that's a pointing dog. But are those AKC tests, are they breed specific or is it, do they have separate things for pointing dogs and flushing dogs? No, the, the hunt test is for pointing dogs. Okay. You know, there's point there's hunt tests for uh, flushers and retrievers, okay. But it's 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 different from the pointing dog AKC hunt test, right? And I, gosh, there might be like 20 breeds of pointers, and I'm I'm not sure exactly that qualify in uh, AKC hunt test, right? And so the flip side of that, NAVDA NAVDA is they're only pointing dogs, right? Like it's a, it's a group of different breeds, the versatile hunting breeds, but it's only pointing dogs. So all of their tests have a pointing dog part of it. Yep. It's, it's specific to pointing dogs. Yeah. They have a list of breeds. And again, I don't remember how many they are and it's, you know, there's several breeds and they're considered versatile. And, you know, there's certain breeds that are much more common in knob than much more successful than others. Yep. So on the Brittany side of things, Brittany is not, you know, for me personally, it's not the first breed of dog that comes to mind when I think of NAVDA, but how, what is the popularity or use of the Brittany in, in the NAVDA world from what you've seen, Rick? So it's limited. Uh, your most popular dog for NAVDA is the German short hair pointer. Yeah, which is and basically one of the most so. popular dogs in the world. <laughs> and it, it's a German system. You know, established out of a German system, German breed, your wire hair pointer, yep. you know, Griffons, poodle pointers. But, um, you know, there are not a lot of Britneys that have 
that even go to the Invitational. You know, we might get three, four dogs a year, maybe five dogs to the Invitational. And, you know, you'll get a couple of pass. I think last year there was maybe two or three Britneys that got the uh, pass on the Invitational. But, you know, my guys are pretty good at it. I'm, I'm, I'm close. I really am close. <laughs> but this is my second time I'm taking two dogs to the Invitational. Okay, so the Invitational, it's a once-a-year event? Yes, it's once a year. Uh, this year is one of the largest qualifications, I think, in Nava history. I think there's close to 140 dogs. And it's four days of testing. It's a pretty full event. A lot of volunteers. I mean, it's exceptional the amount of volunteers needed, you know, to, to run this test. This year it's in Ohio. Moves around a little bit, though? Pardon me? Does it move around from year to year? Well, they've been testing one year in Ohio, the following year in Iowa. Okay. So this year is Ohio. When I tested back in 2014, it was Iowa. Okay. And it's a and, September uh, event? My first time in Ohio. It is September ooh, 12th to 15th, I think. Okay. So it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm testing on Saturday and Sunday. And I'll stay around Monday to volunteer to, to help out. But it's, it's a lot of volunteer work and a lot of time and effort. Judging gunners, bird planners, bird cleaners. Um, you know, different judges at the events, setting ducks out, uh, no live ducks in the invitational. Okay. You mentioned the, the volunteering and I'm familiar with that just in the, the amount that I am familiar with NAVDA. You know, I hear people talk about it. There's, it's a, it's a very close knit community from what I can gather. I've never been to a NAVDA event, but I know a lot of people that are involved with it and they always seem like the kind of people that I would like to spend some time with, right? Like they're dog people, they come together and they put in the time and effort to host these events. Since you've got a little bit of experience on both sides of it, would you talk about your volunteer experience and how that might apply to somebody, maybe somebody listening to this is interested in bird dogs. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that if somebody was interested in bird dogs, helping out at an AVDA event, whether it's the invitational or something else might be a great way to get, get out there and see some dogs and meet some people. Would you agree? Absolutely. You know, the more dogs that you can experience in training, more breeds, uh, you know, you learn a lot more watching other dogs, participating, yes. helping out with other dogs than you really do with your own. You know, any any type of dog training you get involved with, with different pros, but again, we're, we're on NAVDA. Uh, it's, you know, when we'd, when we'd have a day of training in NAVDA, I'm one of the senior, you know, guys helping out and training. You know, we'll spend a day training, and we could be handling a dozen different dogs, including your own, you know, dog or two. You know, helping out from steadiness to water work, duck search, double mark, blind retrieve. You know, through the different types of testing yep. between the utility invitational. You know, two dog braces, single dogs. You know, for the honor and backing. But the more dogs you get to watch and experience, uh, the better you'll be at training your own dog. I have definitely found that in the the times that I go to a place where it is a gathering, you know, whether it's a, a sanctioned event or something, or it's just a group of people that get together to train bird dogs in the summer, you got a bunch of dogs on the chain and you're loading up the bird field and you're running different dogs through and watching different handlers. It really, it gives you a ton of perspective on the things that you'll see in your dog. You get to see how other people handle their dogs, how different dogs respond to different handlers. It's, all of that is, it's really important perspective, especially for somebody like me. I'm on my first dog. I have limited experience. It's really helpful to see other people and other dogs. Absolutely. I, I think you can learn a lot more just watching, participating, listening, you know, to others handle and train than you really will just training on your own. And it's a community. Yeah. You know, this community. It takes a community to train these dogs. It, it really does. You know, it's, when we, uh, when I trained last week in Pennsylvania with a couple of NAVDA pros, uh, Kyle Huff, Tim Clark, a few other guys that were going to the Invitational, you know, it's, it really is an upper level and it's all business. You know, all the dogs are close to, you know, their quality and their ability. And, you know, you, you train all day long doing the different events and it's just kind of nonstop go through in all the different venues. But, you know, Many years following, you know, different trainers, pros, you know, you just watch a lot of different dogs handle. You know, you learn a method, you learn some systems, and you try to stick to it and apply it. Yeah. Before we talk 
specific systems and kind of methodologies because I'm really interested in that and I want to get your perspective on it. Let's just touch briefly on what are you working on with your dogs going up, you know, going to the invitational? What are the things that you're trying to fine tune and tweak? What does that look like for somebody that's about to go to the invitational? So we're working on steadiness, honoring and backing for the one hour field run, you know, conditioning in the hot weather and heat. That's very important. You know, the blind retrieve, that's a difficult part of NAVDA. You know, it's a hundred yard swim with a dead duck on the other side. And, you know, you just try to get your dog to do a straight line from where you're standing with the dog across and, and the retrieve to hand. Then you walk, you, you know, a lot of healing involved in the events, getting to the shore, to the water. And then we do the honor. Again, the field run, the, the backing is also difficult. We're asking a lot for our dogs to back. Um, I'm getting improvement there. It was, it was a little difficult getting that the last few weeks, but, you know, a couple of training sessions with some of these guys uh, in a couple different places in PA, you know, we were putting in three solid days of training, to, you know, the different venues of NOB, the Invitational. And it's just, you know, it's just repetition. You know, my dogs are doing good. They're nothing great. We work hard to train. They, they like to please. They like to work. But, you know, it's just, it's repetition. You know, they don't train themselves. They don't understand English. So, um, but at this level, they pretty much understand what you want them to do. Right. It's just repetition and prep. Are you doing a lot? Of, are you using pigeons? You doing a lot of bird work? Pigeons out of launchers? Oh yeah, a lot of pigeons in the field. Yep. A uh, lot of ducks. <laughs> a lot of dead ducks. Um, you know, initially when I started doing the, the blind retrieve, you know, we introduced some live ducks at, at shorter distances. You know, you want the drive, but it's it's the invitational water work is is a lot of obedience. You know, it's basically discipline and obedience. You know, just when you when you send them across the water, you basically just want them to go there. They understand they're going to find something over there, you know, and retrieve a dead duck. Yeah. You know, there's bumper work before dokins and whatnot. Uh, it's 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 quite a process. And the guys I trained with a week ago in Pennsylvania, there was I think there was seven of us working thirteen dogs, and you know everybody was pretty much at the same level. It, it does. It takes a community. You know, you need guys to gun. You know, we're using chucker. Um, we didn't use pigeon this past few weeks. A couple of weeks ago when I was training a different location with some of the same guys, we were introducing introducing pigeons, and uh, it's all helpful and valuable. I like a dog that's, you know, steady through uh, shot, that'll honor even when we're out grouse hunting, guiding. Okay. You know, it's just nice for dogs to honor each other. It's safe. You know, a steady dog is, is a quality hunting dog safely you know it's uh it's just but it's it's more training and it's more time yeah on the retrieving portion you're doing a lot of water work retrieving which is oftentimes of less importance to an upland hunter and you'll hear you know i would even go out and say and call them justifications you know i make no no excuses my dog doesn't really retrieve he hunts dead very well and i i'm okay with it i appreciate it i understand the point that i've taken to him in his training So again, I'm okay with it, but NAVDA obviously is targeted towards a more rounded dog and waterfowl comes into play, hence all the water work. Just talk a little bit about from somebody that's, that's done a lot of training and then now you, and you hunt your dogs, talk a little bit about how you've maybe seen that ad be advantageous for your dogs in the field. For the retrieving? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a very strong believer in the train retrieve. Okay. And you're not going to be successful in Navda if the dog doesn't have a train retrieve. And it's, um, you know, it's not, some of it's not easy, you know, or comfortable. But uh, I believe in a strong retrieve. It works when I'm grouse and woodcock hunting. Uh, certainly with the water work, you're not going to get a dog successful in the training without the train retrieve. You know, I just think it, you know, you, you get the dog in the right mindset. It just gets a better all-around dog. You know, I, I'm very strong about it. Dog steady through flush and shot, yeah. you know, release on command. I, I don't lose many birds because a dog is steady to fall, you know, shot and fall. Right. I That's don't. one of the things you'll hear is people want their dogs breaking at the flush or the shot to get on a, a wild rooster. That That's just one of those things that we hear often. Uh, I can't argue with it. You know, it's, it's individual. Right. You know, yep. what you want out of your dog, but I don't see too many of, the dogs I hunt with, you know, my hunting buddies and my training buddies, uh, I don't see us not find most of the birds that, that we shoot. I really don't. 
whether it's me guiding at different preserves or grouse and woodcock hunting, um, you know, hunting out west for sharp tails. Uh, I just, we don't lose too many birds. Um, and I, I think there's some, you know, advantage to dogs getting right on a bird that's shot, but, you know, it's more work, it's more training, but it certainly is safer, you know, for that dog just to stay there till released. Yeah. I you think, know, especially guiding, I'm guiding with strangers I'm guiding with, you know, you're guiding with a couple, three different, two or three different hunters and, you know, you may not know them. So you're all about safety. So I want that dog of mine just steady and standing there until they're you know, given the retrieve. Yeah. I think that's a huge factor in steadiness when you bring in the guiding aspect or the, you know, hunting with folks you're not as familiar with, even just hunting with anybody, really. It's, it's different than a guy or girl out hunting over their dog just by themselves. That's a little bit different on what you might tolerate. When a bird gets up in a field, it's frantic, it's chaotic. And I have even found from my own experience, if my dog is steady standing, it's a lot less chaos than it is if he breaks right on the flush or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, it's, you're not talking much. I don't do a lot of talking. Yeah. I'm pretty much a silent trainer, just some whistle commands and, you know, unless it's necessary. But, you know, at this level where, where we're at, the dogs are just pretty much steady. Now, you know, the grouse and woodcock hunting, you know, half the time you're not seeing the dog and, you know, you're, you're on the dog, but you're very much concentrating, you know, on, on the gun work. You know, it's nice when we, I like to hunt with a dog and, a, and one of my friends. So, so that steadiness is—it's just good behavior, you know. In addition to the safety end of it. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk conditioning real quick, because you mentioned that a little few minutes ago, and that is something that is on top of my mind, and probably a lot of folks listening to this, because we're all looking ahead to September and or whenever your season's open. But we're looking ahead for sure, and we're getting bird dogs in shape. And I've been running mine probably more so this summer than I ever have, so I'm kind of excited about that. I'm sure it's not. It wouldn't make any pro trainers blush the amount of miles my dog and I are doing. But again, I'm happy with what we've done this summer. How do you go about your conditioning program, Rick? Well, certainly diet is part of it. And I probably run my dogs almost every day. And, you know, I'll get on my side by side. And I'm lucky enough where I live, I have uh, fields, woods, apple orchards, ponds. So, uh, you know, if I don't have a lot of time, I'll just get on a mule and, you know, we'll run like half an hour. So it's easy for me, uh, but the dogs are just, just letting them run, handle. Yep. Even if I'm not putting them on birds or ducks or anything, just letting them run in condition. You know, I mean, you run a dog for about 45 minutes an hour, and, um, you know, it just keeps them healthy and keeps them in shape. And I try to chain, train with the hot weather, you know, because we've had fairly hot summer, so I try to get that in, you know, to condition them, because when the Navda test comes, it's, you know, we could end up with 80, 85-degree temperature from morning to evening. So that's something I'm actually really curious about. And I haven't, I don't know that I've heard or I have a lot of information on it, but let's just say, cause I've been thinking about this. I've been taking my dog for a run around noon a lot this summer. And obviously that's a warmer part of the day. It's not the heat of the day, but it's a warmer part of the day as opposed to going first thing in the morning. So we have been running quite a bit in the heat and you know, I kind of think to myself, oh, this is good, you know, good experience, good exposure for him to run in the heat because we get some hot weather early and, and that sort of thing. But then I think given the choice, you know, when they run in the heat, they tend to, I feel like they burn up pretty quick. Right. But given the choice, would you run in the morning in cooler temps to try to get more miles, get a longer duration in, or do you actually think running them in the heat is good for some of that? And perhaps the ultimate answer is you should probably do a little bit of both. Well, again, testing the way we are for this invitational, you definitely want to get them conditioned for the heat. Okay. You know, and, and I'm, you know, again, 40, 50 minutes, uh, get them, get them there. Certainly keep, enough water yep. if there's you know any water for them to get in to cool off you know, that's one now that's good but you definitely want to condition them for, with the heat through summer so you don't want to surprise them and drop them out on a 70 or 80 de- degree day for like the first time no you don't you want to it's 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 a conditioning uh and they're they're in pretty good shape you know their weight is is right at you know at a good uh weight right now their conditioning is is good. I'm still working to condition them more. You know, I don't want to overdo it, 
again, an hour field run in 80, 85 degree temperature, that's, that's a long time. Yeah. You know, dog, dogs, I mean, dogs can get heated in, in minutes and, you know, get a lot of water for them. Uh, they, they do have like, uh, water that they, the dogs get cooled off in. You know, the judges are very care. We're all very careful and safe about this stuff for the, you know, it's all about the safety and health of the dog running these tests. But yeah. definitely conditioning is, is a, is a big part of it. Yeah, certainly. And obviously conditioning for a, for a test that you've got upcoming, that's going to lead itself right into hunting season and a dog will kind of dogs if they get to hunt enough they they really put themselves into game shape through the hunting season but of course the more the head start we can give them before the season the better you hear a lot of stories kind of horror stories about dogs that you know they don't do much exercise all summer and then they go out on opening day and it's hot and dogs get in trouble real fast i mean that's not what we want no and you're not going to get quality hunting out of the dog right don't, don't wait till hunting season to get them conditioned Spend some time with them. Get them out there. Even if you run them half an hour, 45 minutes. Right. And again, the heat of the day is, is the best time. Because, you know, when we start grouse hunting, woodcock hunting in, you know, late September and through October, when we had 80-degree days last year. Yeah, it's been hot early season, last few years. Which, you know, isn't comfortable for any of us, really. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, there's still bugs. There's lots of sweat. There's thick foliage. It's it's a recipe for uh, a pretty uncomfortable Day, but that doesn't mean we're not enjoying it. And you know, there's some days I'll run three dogs, sure. You know, grouse and woodcock hunting, just to you know keep them all healthy and in shape. You know, if it's hot, they're just it's limited. Yeah, as you well know. Yeah, I mean, you talked about having having the access. You've got the property. You can go right out the door. I mean, that is very helpful. That a lot of people, I'm sure, would be envious of that. I have a pretty good setup where. I get out the door and get into an area where my dog can run quite a bit. But I think the key there is, like you said, you know, just do what you can. I mean, certainly give your dog every chance if it works for your schedule and where you live and your location. Try to find a place, whether you got to ride your bike with a dog connected to it on a rope or something. It's just you got to do what you can, but see if you can get those dogs an opportunity to get in shape well before the season. I mean, really, it's whenever I say that, I, I hear like, vets or trainers like there is no off season really our our dogs should be running and exercising all year round just like you and i should rick absolutely absolutely and i do i do a lot of training even you know through hunting season it basically really is hunting season there, there isn't much training now yeah especially where i'm at with you know they're not puppies you know, i'm not doing you know training for hunting i try to keep them steady and i try to keep them obedient and um you know successful hunting so earlier you mentioned following a couple of, you know, sort of mixing up your your bird dog training system, you know, reading and studying different systems and keying in on what you like, don't like, trying things, experimenting yourself. You mentioned Rick, Ronnie, Delmar Smith, you know, they're famous for their methodologies, but I think every trainer kind of, you know, there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of good stuff. So you kind of take what works for you and, and there's a little bit of room to sort of mold and I think blend training strategies. But with that said, you still should be careful about, you know, if Rick, Ronnie, Delmar Smith, they have a system, they have a system for a reason and you don't want to get, you know, too widely sort of like cr with crossover and, and mixing stuff up. Talk a little bit about your methodology for training a bird dog and in this case we are talking pointing dogs so bringing those dogs up through the progression of you know a puppy to basically a a veteran hunter so i mean i pretty much train my dogs um by the smith method okay uh chain gang woe post check cord it's you know it's it's a good system you know train get a system to train your dog learn something understand where you want to go with it where to the dog's going to go with it. It's more efficiency. You know, to learn training a dog, it's uh, it's not easy. You know, it's it's about efficiency. But try to understand and learn a system. You know, I'm, I'm on my, you know, fifth or sixth bird dog. Um, and, you know, it's just, it, it works. The Smith method works. You know, my dogs are quite steady. They're steady from a younger age. You know, the process. I, I mean, I do about three or four Smith seminars a year. I've done a, you know, close to 30, 20 some seminars, you know, from foundation right on through to advance, you know, traveling around the country, both with Ronnie and Rick. Uh, I've, I've worked with Delmar a few times over the years. 
who's I, I mean, the guy's like a dog training genius. He really is. It's, yeah. It's, it's a gift. He's gifted. It's, uh, it's actually gotten spiritual for me with, uh, Rick, Ronnie and Delmore. You know, their knowledge, I mean, they've trained hundreds of bird dogs. You know, they were field trial guys back in the day. You know, Ronnie's done a lot of bird hunting, uh, in Texas and Montana, you know, between training and hunting and guiding. And, you know, in Texas, he's hunting in 85 degree weather. You're, you're switching dogs every half hour. Yeah. I believe a steady dog, a dog that just stands still, you know, just have your dog stand still. And you want to teach that dog not in the field on birds. You want that foundation and that discipline, you know, it's a balance. But you, you want that dog to understand that it has to stand still. Healing, whoa, stay. I don't teach the sit for quite a while, you know, because it is important once you start getting into the utility and the uh, invitational. Uh, it's, you know, there's other trainers, there's other systems. There's a lot of, lot of different pro trainers doing a combination of things. I do a lot of training with a retriever trainer, uh, Brad Arrington, Mossy Pond Retrievers. And, uh, he does all dogs, but mostly he's testing, uh, field trial hunt test and with retrievers. And he has a kennel he runs just down the street from me about seven months a year, but his main uh, location is in Georgia. Um, actually, I've become very good friends with him, family, some uh, trainers. Um, yeah, Rick and Ronnie. There's some local uh, folks that I train with. I, I try to train as often and as much and with different methods as I can. And a lot of it's similar. But uh, find a method, try to understand it, learn it, and, and work through it. Now, all these dogs are good. You know, the equipment we have today, videos, books, the knowledge of it, YouTube, you really do need to understand the dog. You really do. And a method. You'll, you'll, you'll get better at it. But yeah. you can't teach the dog everything on birds, you know, training. You know, get that, get that steady work, the healing, very important. The train retrieve. And, you know, it, it takes time. It does take time. Yeah. It's kind of that classic discrepancy, you know, yard work and field work. There's yard work, that you know there's no there are typically what people are saying yard work we're talking obedient stuff non-bird work and then you've got field work which is your bird work and there's a time and a place for both of those the other thing that the smiths do theirs is the silent command system right yes okay they're they really don't speak to a dog they you know they're they're training through just conditioning and their method there really isn't much talking now they they go through the roll post check cord wonder lead and it's it really is they hardly speak to the dog when you go to a foundation seminar they're intermediate uh, there's really there's really not much language you don't hear you know Rick or Ronnie say much of anything to the dog and it's you know the dogs learn I I think a lot of us talk too much yeah I used to be one of those guys and I was threatened to put duct tape around my mouth. To, not speak, you know, just a few years ago. And it's, uh, you know, I put a lot of time into it. Fortunately, you know, over recent years, I've I've found more time to spend with the dogs and you get quicker results. So you mentioned chain gang, which I know what that is. I'm going to have you explain it just in case somebody doesn't, which when I think of chain gang, I guess the first thing you think of is just you know, it's just a, it's a tool. It's, you stop to let the dogs out and you put them on a chain gang. So they're all sitting there, but you mentioned it in the context of the Smith system, Smith training system. And I know from reading and research now, I know there are some training aspects about the chain gang. So talk about what it is and how it is used in the context of training a dog, something as simple as clipping that dog to a stakeout post or a chain gang so it's it's a chain it's a chain and they probably have you know if you go to a smith foundation seminar i mean i've been to foundation seminars where there's 15 20 dogs on this chain gang and every two to three feet is it it's a chain on the ground with posts and there's probably an 18 inch to 24 inch chain every two or three feet apart so if you have 20 dogs on that on on a different chain you know, dogs are bouncing, digging, barking, and it's almost 
a self means of a dog becoming steady. You know, you start out one day and you got a lot of dogs barking and moving and, and whatnot. And, and as the weekend goes on, the dogs are just adjusting for the most part and they're becoming silent and becoming still and you're not doing anything. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of discussion, you know, certain dogs demonstrating, but they're on that chain gang throughout the whole day. And it's just a form of steadiness, but the dogs are doing it on their own. There's not one word said to the dog. Um, and eventually they just realize, you know, just to be quiet and be still. Yeah, the chain and the other dogs all attached to it are kind of providing the resistance. Right, so to... as, as some dogs are moving, you know, uh, it's each dog is feeling some of that movement. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's it really is amazing as you go through two days of training how they just get more and more silent and steady on that chain gang throughout the two days or three days of training. Yeah. And again, it's a method. It's not the only way. Right. But, um, you know, training, I've been through four or five dogs with it, and I didn't know where I was going with it as I was doing it, but I, I trusted it. Um, my female is from Ronnie Smith. It's a Smith-bred dog. And again, became good friends with them and, you know, a lot of help. Uh, I actually probably, they've never had a knob to dog, invitational dog. So they were, they kind of thought I was, you know, like, why are you taking a field dog and, doing this water work when you know you got a bird hunting dog and as they you know kind of helped me through a lot of this stuff and follow me through it uh they were they were pretty impressed with it actually and pretty happy about it and i was actually in oklahoma a couple of months ago uh to ronnie's uh new kennel and location in pohuska oklahoma and we had a we had a great four or five days of working dogs in an advanced seminar with some great people you know, and again, you're at that upper level. So, um, a lot of field trial dogs more so. Um, I'm not field trial. You know, you know, rouse hunting for keeping dogs close. You get on these training with and hunt and work with these field trial dogs. They're 200, 300 yards working away. And it's like, it was really just great stuff. Uh, wild quail, planted quail. It was a great experience. Great, great place Ronnie's got now. So I take it you would highly recommend folks checking out a Rick Ronnie Smith seminar if they had the chance to. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They they get to different places in New York, Maryland, Michigan, Virginia. Just trying to think, and I, I anything I can drive to, I, I try to make it. Yeah, you definitely piqued my interest. I I since I've been paging through Bird Dog magazines, Pony Dog Journal, and stuff, which goes back, you know, a ways. But when I was about to get my first bird dog back in 2013, 14. That's when I really started diving into this stuff. I've seen advertisements and stuff for Rick and Ronnie Smith the whole time. I have a wonder lead. Um, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, but I've never been to a seminar. And I think if I were to come across one that was near me, I think I'd be pretty tempted to go check it out just after our conversation, even knowing, you know, I knew before how, how knowledgeable those, those gentlemen were and, the the dogs that they've trained and I've read about their methods. I think I'd be, I'd be interested to go check it out. Actually, I should look there. We've got coming up this weekend and the following weekend in Minnesota game fair. It's a really, really big kind of outdoor expo. I've never been to it, but I wouldn't shock me if they were there. I'll have to check it out. Um, they, they do seminars through Wisconsin, Michigan. Uh, I don't know. They do one in Minnesota, Ohio, Maryland, New York, Rick, I think Rick just did one last weekend, two weekends ago, with uh, Webfoot Outdoors up in Clayton, New York. I did that last summer. Great, great trainers also. Talk to me about the Wopost real quick. That's another one of their sort of pillar methodologies. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a system where a dog is, uh, there's a rope on a post, and it's uh, half hitched to its belly to the collar. And then you have another check cord where you just kind of put tension on the dog and the half hitch on the belly creates a point of contact. And the half hitch on the belly is that line is drawn back to this post that's anchored on the ground. Yes. Yep. And once you once there's tension, the dog can't move. It's just standing there. And you know you work the dog through that, and then eventually you work a uh, e collar on the belly. Again, a point of contact, and it's just to stop and stand still. No verbiage, no verbiage needed. You could, you know, eventually you work the wall in, and then you eventually transfer from the flank, the belly, to the neck. And it's like an invisible check cord as you're, you know, working to train the dog to be steady. 
So I'll, you know, it's easy to talk about it, but it's you really have to experience exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. that's you know, what it's, I was going to say. It's hard for me to explain it. Yeah. You know, if you haven't done it, um, you just need to experience it. Yeah. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to add a little bit of sort of what I my understanding of it. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but so you got the you have the the cord that is attached to the dog's neck that goes down the back. It goes then you do a half hitch around the belly. So the point of contact is around the belly. That's that's one of the points of contact that we want to think of. And that goes back to the post that's anchored. And so then you've got the dog on another cord, another check cord on the neck, and you would you'd essentially be healing that dog, right? Like you would be walking. Well, you'd actually get in front of it and you'd actually kind of put pressure on the check cord in your hand for it to come to towards you. Tension on the belly cord that's on the post. Okay. And it's it's not hard pressure. It's you know, right. you don't want to pain the dog. You just want to realize that, you know, this stops the dog. Uh, and you know, and you train that not on birds in the field, you know, and it's just a standstill, steady dog. So the Smiths say they want their dogs, the dog, to do three things: stand still, go with you, and come to you. Yeah. So going with you is hunting. You know, we teach the dog how to quarter, work forty-five degree angles. You know, and it's come, hunt, and stand still. And that you know that stand still is basically through every process. How do you start to heal a dog? Dog gets on your side and stands still. You want a dog to be steady on a bird, standing still. You know, you really don't want to teach steady around birds. You know, not the basic foundation of it. Right. Yeah, that, the exciting so stuff comes later. Say, whoa, it's just get a dog to stand still. And I have that done at probably, you know, under a year, you know, with my dogs getting a low post. And, and again, it's it's not automatic. It's It's a process. But at least, you know, I could have a dog hunting 50 yards and I could stop it with the touch of an e-collar. You know, again, it's like a, it's like an invisible check cord. So do you, you mentioned the flank collar. So after the half hitch around the belly, you, do you eventually move to the flank collar and then you eventually transition that to the neck? So the goal is to have just one e-collar on the neck and not flank collar. I mean, do you sometimes have to run the dog with a flank collar while he's hunting? How does that work for you? Well, Yes, you can hunt with a flank collar, but, you know, the sooner you get the transition from the flank to the neck, um, whether you're training or hunting, the better off you are. Right. The end goal you know, is It's like that. the train retrieve. Get get your wool post done. Get your flank collar done. Get the neck transition done. Get your train retrieve done. You know, get it done. And certainly through all this is a balance, you know. Bring the dog, you know, keep that dog happy. Keep its intensity up, its drive up, its desire up. You know, you don't want to hammer the dog with discipline. And again, I'm not talking to the dog. I'm not yelling, uh, not even raising my voice. I try not to raise my voice. You know, save that loud voice and tone for when you need it. Yeah. And and, and again, it's, it's, it's a system. There's others. You know, um, I just got comfortable with it. Again, I'm good friends with the Smiths, and they've been really helpful to me and inviting me when they invite me to their home and training kennel and, and up several seminars. Very cool. Hey, I didn't ask you, what is your method for the trained retrieve? Um, I've done the ear pinch. I've done the toe pull, the string on the toe, bringing an e-collar into it. Uh, it's not fun doing a train retrieve, but you know, you, you, you get it done and you know, um, the dogs adapt to it quite well. You do you know, have it's, a, it's do you have a bond because it is painful to the dog? Some of it, right? It seems like it is, but, uh, you just get it done. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. I, I, I shouldn't say, cause I haven't done it myself. I'm kind of familiar with it. Do you have a preferred method or do you find that different methods work for different dogs? Yes. I, I, I read the dog with it. Okay. I do. I read the dog with it. I've, I've done ear pinch where I didn't seem comfortable for the dog and went to the toe and then, you know, I've started with the toe and that didn't seem well and went to the ear pinch, but I do try to get it done, you know, sooner than later. Okay. You know, and, and I don't beat them up on. I also, you know, it's a balance, you know, put them on birds a little bit, let them feel happy. But, you know, don't take weeks to get it done or months even, you know, uh, I'm pretty slow in my process. It's, you know, to have a dog that retrieves, especially in Nav, it's, it's valuable. Yeah. Yeah, we could go on and on about training and and reading dog behavior and managing your own attitude, which I think is very important. I think that's a pretty neat aspect of 
dog training. It's actually training yourself a lot of the times to manage your reaction and, and how you react to what the dog does for sure. But that'll, that could be a podcast for another day, Rick. I appreciate your time. Let's talk real quick hunting season around the corner. Do you have any big trips planned? What are your main pursuits? What are you going to be doing this fall? Um, Michigan. I've got a buddy of mine who had gotten one of my puppies uh, over four years ago, and we're going to meet up with him and uh, a couple other guys locally. We were out there last year. UP or uh, lower? Lower. Okay. Lower. And um, we had we worked hard, but we got into birds. We had a lot of success. We didn't run into a lot of hunting traffic. You know, got a lot of dog work. You know, I'm, I'm working, you know, I've been working two dogs to get the experience and trying to hunt three dogs. But we did well. We, I think we got, yeah, we hunted 11 days out of, you know, two weeks between traveling. And we, uh, we got into a lot of birds. We had a couple of real good woodcock days, you know, limited out. I mean, we were, we were not limiting to put more dogs on the ground and let them get work. Sure. Sure. I'm just not shooting to limit. And I'm okay with that. I mean, it's, it's not about, you know, shooting birds. It's about hunting them and get the dog work. And, um, we had a nice year in Michigan. I did not get to the national grouse hunt last year. Okay. And I had been there probably four or five years previous. Yeah. Um, that was the where, where I actually got to meet you and shake your hand at, at one point when I was there. Yeah. I think it's been a couple of years since I saw you at the last. Yeah. Probably that would have been, hunt, right? that would have been 2016, I think was the last time I was there. Okay. I think I did 2017. I didn't do last year. Okay. And I, I mean, I, I had great times there. Yeah. One year I was out there and I, I actually ended up having two buddies with me. And um, one day we put six different dogs on the ground, you know, on birds. So that was, that was really neat training some younger dogs, you know. So it's, it's more about training and hunting than, you know, than harvesting. Yeah. But we had a great day hunting uh, with three, three, three guys. And, and again, we put seven dogs, six or seven dogs on the ground. You know, and I've always had a good time. You know, I, I've done the banquet for seven years, eight years now locally on the chapter I'm president with. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a good quality organization and it's, you know, I think RGS is the only organization in the country that actually does forest habitat. I would be, uh, I would be, well, yeah, I would be scared to go out on a limb and say that they're the only one, but they're certainly a leader in forest wildlife conservation. That is a fact. And, you know, every forest animal benefits. Absolutely. Turkey, deer, birds, I mean, really every animal benefits. And, you know, we're just not getting enough habitat work in New York at all. New York's a little difficult when it comes to that type of stuff. But we do, we do a fair amount of hunting in New York. We work hard at it. I've got to travel like three hours just to get into grouse in New York State from where I live. Got it. But we manage. We manage. How's Mr. Karitsky? You guys still causing trouble together? Yeah, yeah, Dave, Dave and I, <laughs> Dave's going to do the national, you know, he's on one of the board of directors. Yeah. And then he'll meet up with us uh in Michigan, somewhere in Michigan. Where we're running out of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I it'll be probably four or five of us hunting. Good. My buddy actually bought a building that we turned into a hunting cabin. I was out there a couple of weeks ago. With, uh, I'm a plumber by trade and business, and we got the plumbing in for the bathroom and the kitchen, so we're getting that done. You know, nothing fancy, but got a roof over our head, and it'll be dry and warm or cool, whatever the weather looks sure. like. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get out and in, in, out west this year on Sharp Tail. Okay. You know, the, again, the invitation was taking a lot of time. I'll be out there four or five days for that. Yeah, that's right. Up, yeah, right, right around that same time where you might be thinking about heading west, probably. And then I think it'll be about the middle of October that we'll get out to Michigan for a couple of weeks. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, the next time you do see uh, Mr. David Kritsky, tell him I say hi. I miss that guy. I used to, I enjoyed, always enjoyed uh, talking to him at the RGS events. But Rick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for your support of Project Upland. We appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck in your upcoming testing, the fall hunting season. This has been fun, man. We should do it again. Yes, Nick. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it. I hope it helped. I hope there's some you know, knowledge shared. You know, it is a passion of mine. I've actually become spiritual about it all. And good luck to you. Anything I could do to help on the training end or raising for RGS, tell AJ I said hello. I will. And I appreciate everything, Nick. Yeah. Likewise. Right back at That's you, Rick. That's my friend. Take care. Yep. You too. Have a good one. You too. See Bye you. now. 
Thank you for listening to the Project Upland podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. The podcast is also brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, Dogs or Collars, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf USA, Gordian Sons Outfitters, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.